Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Today we've got one of uh, probably the most extraordinary interviews I think I've ever done on this podcast. Today we're going to talk to Heidi Langbin Hall, um, who is the daughter of a, a former a child soldier of the Wehrmacht. Um, Heidi was able to ask her father to record his memoirs, his life story, uh, many years ago, um, and has been able to uh, transcribe this into a new and, and really, really exciting book, uh, Save the Last Bullet, uh, which is a very harrowing memoir of her father's journey um, from kind of innocence to the most brutal of experience uh, in the, the last days of the Third Reich and the, the, a real battle for survival uh, facing the kind of the twin evils of the, the SS and the uh, impending um, occupation by the, the Red Army and only by uh, serious um, extraordinary quirks of fate did her father um, survive to tell the tale? Um, anyway, here we're going to hear from Heidi and um, hear her and her father's story. So thanks very much. 
Sit back, enjoy. This is an extraordinary interview. Okay, and so welcome back to the Explaining History podcast. Now we have something really special for you today. I'm joined with the author uh, Heidi Langbane Hall, who is here to talk uh, about her book. It's, it's kind of, in in some ways, co-written with her father, uh, a, a memoir of um, the Second World War uh, called Save the Last Bullet. It's a, it's a very kind of unique sort of, uh, memoir in a way because it is uh, the the story of her her, her father's journey through uh, uh, service to the Third Reich in um, Hitler's armies, but as a teenager, and it's also in large part a kind of a memoir of the 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 uh, the, the, the era of the Third Reich because it, it begins. Um, significantly earlier than that. So, uh, what I would like to do is invite Heidi to, to to tell us a little bit of the story of her father and um, a little bit of the story of of finding the memoir and and creating it into into the book as it is. So, o- over to you, Heidi. Yes. So, um, I uh, I was um, inspired to to write his story more for. Um, you know, an account for the family, really, it started. So uh, it, it started that way. I never actually set out to write a book in the first place. Um, I had, um, I bugged my father incessantly for, for years to to write his memoirs or to at least relate them in some way. And he didn't want to talk about it as many, you know, uh, soldiers, I think, just simply don't. And in particular, uh, German soldiers from that era did not speak about the war. Uh, and and I'm convinced he had PTSD um, because he used to wake up every night. I used to hear him when I was a child um, screaming with nightmares. And, uh, you know, of course, it was brushed off. And so as I got older, I realized um, that uh, that there were some snippets that, that would escape him and he would tell things about the war and about, the, and about that era. And it was extreme. So finally, when he retired um, in his 70s, he, he relented. And he agreed to uh, to tell his story. And so he left me 16 tapes, cassette tapes, uh, in German, mm-hmm. which I then, um, you know, really listened to once, you know, and he put it in, into CDs. And then he, um, and I put him away for a long time. Uh, I was fascinated by the story, but I thought, well, mission accomplished. And then, uh, you know, as geopolitical events sort of, you know, unfolded here in in, in recent years, I uh, started really getting concerned. And he, he, in his last years, started as well, that the work that he had done to further democracy in his lifetime um, was was threatened. Okay. And that's, that's really where it started. And then, um, you know, in 2016, after... You know the elections and and uh, you know the 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 events that were just um, getting you know overall globally. You could mm-hmm. see a rise in in, in extremism and in and yeah. fascism. Yeah. I thought, well, I'm going to translate this into English, and I'm going to give this to my children. Uh, and then, long story short, uh, you know, somebody convinced me uh, that this maybe had to be shared with more people. Yeah. Um, and I taught myself how to write. And uh, and uh, well, here we are. 
It does seem, I mean, very, very timely. I watched that there was a, a quite a famous sort of uh, pronouncement by Arnold Schwarzenegger a few years ago, talking about his childhood in Vienna after the war and seeing what it was like for these broken old men returning from from Russia. And uh, it was a, obviously a, a message to this sort of wave of kind of enthusiasm for fascism um, and saying really, you know, don't be fooled by any of this. This is the, uh, this is the, the, um, uh, the, this is the kind of the, the, the death knell of all things. And so it, it seems really, really timely, the kind of the story you're telling. But let's get into the, the actual story of your father. So perhaps yeah. you can tell us a bit about him and, and, and what happened. Yeah. So did, uh, did you want me to start from the beginning? Um, yes, wherever you feel comfortable. All right. Well, he, uh, uh, he was uh, he was born in 1930, uh, and uh, his story is really the story of, of many children of that of that time, um, uh, where they were subjected to uh, the Nazi propaganda at a very mm-hmm. very young age, um, and uh, as we know, and I'll fast forward just a little bit, you know, by the time he was 13, uh, he was taken from uh, from his parents. Um, under the guise of protection against Allied bombing, mm-hmm. uh, in under a program uh, that was allegedly voluntary called the Kinderland Verschickung, and it was a program meant to provide um, you know this protection and some you know vacation for the for city children. And in fact, mm-hmm. what it really was was a way to to separate the children from the influence of their parents and from the church, and to indoctrinate them into the Nazi uh, way of life um, mm-hmm. and, of course, prepare them, give them paramilitary training and prepare them for war. Um, you know, this was in 1943. Mm-hmm. Um, my father was 13. And um, and that was that was really the, the intent of the yeah. program, which, in fact, in my father's case, uh, come 1945, in March of 1945, he was, in fact, mobilized. Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 yeah. Into the Eastern Front, which was already in Austria. So mm-hmm. uh, he was not. Am I right in thinking? Um, not part of the actual the, Vol- the Volkssturm. Um, he was actually part of the the regular army. Is that correct? He was part of the. He was in fact part of the regular army. And it, uh, and uh, you know, of all of the research that I've done, I've not found in any accounts of anybody younger than him. Right. Uh, so he was he was fourteen uh, when he was uh, put into the uh, into the army. And so as far as we know, potentially the youngest soldier um, to, to 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 fight. I mean, definitely one of the youngest. Um, I don't know if there were anybody if there was anybody under the age of fourteen. It was uh, you know in his case, he and two schoolmates uh, were were pulled into mm-hmm. into the army. It's interesting. 1943 is a kind of an interesting uh, moment in that if you think of the, the at the beginning of 1943, you have Goebbels going on with the famous Sports Palace speech, where he says basically post Stalingrad, you know, the, the 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 good times are over, and this is going to be a time of national struggle and hardship. Um, and I'm guessing the this the initiative to separate children away from parents it, it was part of military thinking of well we you know we, we're going to need some people to throw at, oh. at the red army basically um yeah. which shows you the, the depth of the cynicism really um 
and desperation. Yeah, and you know, it's sad to see the parallels, you know, um, today with with the Ukraine and Russia, mm-hmm. uh, where we're seeing actually uh, children already receiving paramilitary training. Yes, yeah. Uh, so very similar um, actions are being taken. So you, you say he was deployed in in Austria, is that right? Yes, okay. yes, he was deployed in Austria. So um, he was, uh, so in the Kinderlandverschickung was interesting because it was done under a guise of, uh, again, a voluntary program. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when uh, when the authorities failed to garner, uh, you know, I guess enough enthusiasm from the parents, um, they made it a little bit more difficult to um to not participate. Mm-hmm. And and so, for instance, in uh, Nordrhein-Westfalen, which is the area where my father uh, lived, um, they uh, basically made it illegal for children to stay home and not go to school. But then they proceeded to close all of the schools. Right. So the only way for a child to actually attend school and the parents not to get, um, you know, on the wrong end of the law, um, they had to send them to the program so they could attend school. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's how they saw it. So talking about, you know, cynicism of uh, the authorities, it was, uh, yeah. 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 So, you know, and then, uh, and they were not allowed to go back home. They were not allowed to um, to visit their parents from yeah. that point. And, and he had been already, since he was a young child, enrolled in the, um, in the Jungvolk, which mm-hmm. is the precursor to the Hitler Jugend, Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was children from or in boys uh, from ages ten to fourteen. And mm-hmm. That was they were enrolled in Jungfolk, and then from fourteen to eighteen, in the Hitler Youth, and then uh, directly taken to the army. So uh, by the time my father turned nine, uh, that program, which previously was voluntary, was also no longer voluntary. So he was automatically yes. enrolled in Jungfolk. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, you know, as a mandatory program. And how did he uh, cope with military life? How did he cope as a, as a child being drafted into the army? Well, so uh, when, you know, it, it was very uh, scary uh, for a 13-year-old, first of all, to be separated from his parents um, with um, with no uh, really date of return, mm-hmm. you know, understanding, you know, the, the war had become obvious at this point, you know, to, to him. And, uh, he was very scared and lonely. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, and there was a lot of hardship already at that point, right? Clearly, as you, as you mentioned in 43, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the war took a, took a, a very serious turn. And um, there was not, there was a lack of food. The family he was with was a family, also these families that the host families that, uh, that didn't participate on a voluntary. No. It was all mandatory. So the family he was with, the Falmars, was in, um, uh, in, uh, at the border with Switzerland and the Lake Constance. And they had, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, I think it was nine children. I'd have to look it up in the book myself or forget. I think it was nine children. So, and they had hardly any food. Uh, so, you know, they, they, went to bed hungry already um and uh and it only you know progressed from there and then um in 44 things got very serious so there was starting to be a mass exodus of people uh coming from the east into um, mm-hmm. into that area and um as as things became more dangerous they were relocated to children relocated to um a, a mountain village and um 
in the uh, southern area of uh, bordering Austria, actually. Yeah. And so, um, you know, at the, the situation, food situation was dire at that point. Uh, and yeah. they were under constant surveillance. Not, I don't know that they were fully aware of this, but, uh, you know, the children had been relocated with their teachers, you know, to supposedly to continue school, even though, you know, they didn't get much instruction. Um, and and they were under the, uh, always under the supervision of a Nazi handler. Uh-huh. Uh, who, 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 you know, really watched what the teachers were doing as well as what the children were doing and what they were being taught. Yeah. Um, and so that surveillance increased, of course, gradually when they went to that village in the mountains. Um, the, uh, the, the, uh, the SS showed up mm-hmm. um, uh, to um, really, as we find out later, to pick, to pick out uh, the boys that looked the strongest um, mm-hmm. and biggest. And that's when these terrible things happened. Um, you know, the, it, there was so much hunger that, that uh, you know, uh, a boy uh, decided to go steal some food. The, the, the kids were doing that on a regular basis. They would steal uh, food from like the butcher at night um, because the mm-hmm. hunger was, was such a problem. And um, to them, it was more like almost a prank, but at the it, but also survival. Mm-hmm. mechanism and and so this boy was very hungry and he got into the ss depot and unfortunately he got caught uh and um it was actually punishable by death right stealing from the ss and and so um they executed the boy um mm-hmm. and they made the the kids watch you know my father that is one of the experiences that he um surely caused him nightmares and he couldn't forget. Yeah. Um, uh, and so the might and uh, and violence of that regime became very apparent uh, to him, I think, at that point. Um, fear mm-hmm. and intimidation, you know, the elimination of, of free will was yeah. becoming plainly obvious now even to, to a 13-year-old or 14-year-old at this point. Mm-hmm. And so he was he was sent to paramilitary training. He was picked out specifically because he was quite mm-hmm. tall. Uh, him and two, two other, uh, he and two other um, uh, comrades, you know, ended up going to paramilitary training, uh, or not, I'm sorry, to actual military training for two months. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we're sent back for uh, for a time to receive additional instruction, and then in March 1945, um, you know, the SS showed up and said, "Okay, it's time." And uh, they they gave him a choice. They gave him a choice to join the SS, and they gave him they promised them, you know, warm beds and food, uh, or uh, they could join the regular uh, army of Emma. Mm-hmm. And they uh, unanimously chose the the army uh, because you know uh, clearly they understood um, that the SS uh, were uh, a very very scary unpleasant lot and wanted to get away with them from them as 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 quickly as they could. Yeah. So then they were they were shipped off. Uh, they were shipped off to you know with just two months of military training to what was then the Eastern Front. And mm-hmm. what my father didn't realize at the time is that he was in a very, um, I guess, momentous battle because the battle uh, that he was, uh, that he ended up fighting his first one was the precursor of the Battle of, of Vienna. Okay. So it was the Battle of Vienna Neustadt, which mm-hmm. was the last line of defense. And I think it was the, the, the second or third Ukrainian um, army 
um, defeated their division. Mm -hmm. uh, he didn't, but he didn't know the significance of that. And so right. then they moved into Vienna after that. So that, that forced them into retreat. My father, in that battle, um, almost lost his life. Yes, and it, but he was able to um, he he was able to be kind of evacuated at that point to to Vienna, and I presume that that fact alone. Um, given the kind of the, the fate of, um, uh, of of Vienna after the war, um, uh, being sort of uh, uh, partly partitioned, and and um, the 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 ability, the, the fact that kind of there was there was some Western influence in in Austria after the war, and it didn't fall completely to the Soviet Union. Um, that's how your father's kind of future was guaranteed. Is that is that right? So what actually what happened is you know, he he knew they were close to Vienna. Obviously, he could you know he could tell that Vienna Neustadt was very close. They uh, they suffered the defeat uh, in in the battle uh, and w actually started going into retreat. Mm -hmm. So they never actually got into Vienna. Right. They they started going west and north, and it was in a desperate attempt to get to the American demarcation line. So right. what, what happened is at that point, even though the, the communications were very poor, um, I guess his, his, what was left of his command realized, you know, got some information through, you know, whatever means that their, uh, you know, the, the feat was imminent, of course, mm -hmm. at this point, even though they did not share this uh, with with uh, the soldiers. And it was, in fact, also punishable by death to uh, to express any kind of yeah, um, but it was obvious. So um, they they knew that the that Germany was going to be divided, basically into mm. uh, you know what they thought were the just the American and the and the and the Russian factions, mm -hmm. and they uh, they got word, they got wind that the demarcation line was going to be somewhere in Austria, and in fact in the city of Lietzen. Mm -hmm. uh north of the river. So the, the Lietzen is divided by uh, uh, a river. River ends, and so whatever was south of that river was going to remain in Russian hands, mm -hmm. and whatever was north of that river was going to go to the Americans. So they made a desperate a mm -hmm. dash, if you will, that lasted o over a month to actually get to the American side. And I'm guessing, like a, a, a great many German soldiers, they ex the, they had a, uh, a well justified terror of what would happen to them if they fell into Soviet hands. Yeah, and that is, uh, in fact, um, the name of the book, Save the Last Bullet, mm -hmm. um, comes from that. Right? Well, this so, is what I was, yes. Yes, so he was, uh, he was told when he was in this, in this training, um, that at age 14, that, um, that he should save the last bullet for himself because being captured by the Russians was a fate worse than death because mm -hmm. they would be tortured, uh, you know, before they were killed. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and that they would be killed, so that there was no no question. So uh, they they felt that the Americans would uh, at least let them live, yeah. and um, would be you know uh, more you know to some extent at least to have a chance at survival. Mm -hmm. So was he able to surrender to the uh, to to the Americans in the end? Yeah. So it was uh, you know they uh, they managed you know, with great difficulty to to retreat. Through, um, through you know, through Austria, to the city of Lietzen, um, 
And um, when they arrived, you know, of course, they had, you know, some incidents occurred during during that uh, retreat. It was very bleak. You know, they saw the devastation of war firsthand. Um, they um, they witnessed, um, you know, atrocities. You know, of course, atrocities were committed on, on every side. Uh-huh. Uh, and they could, and they they uh, passed by a town that that had been uh, recovered from the Russians, and you know. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Went through a monastery and, or that was uh, had been devastated by, you know, the nuns had all been killed and... Uh, then continued on and saw uh, then the other side. So this was the Russians doing that, which was, of course, you know, appalling to to uh-huh. my father. But then he saw the other side of the coin shortly thereafter, where he saw um, SS hanging uh, young German soldiers who were lost, you know, from their units. Because uh-huh. as Hitler had said, you know, it, it was victory or death. Uh-huh. There was no middle ground. And so any soldier found wandering, you know, on their own, because, you know, typically the rest of their division had been, you know, dismantled and or they had been lost, uh-huh. uh, would would be captured and hanged yes, as a deserter, yeah. as a deserter. And so they they actually what was left of, of their group, which was very small, maybe eight or so um, uh, people um, were were uh, on their way and again, to the city of Litzen and found uh, the SS in action. They had just, they had seen a soldier hang from a tree and then they saw uh, the SS had captured a young uh, soldier and it was obvious what was going to happen. And they actually, um, they ambushed the SS and they killed them because uh, they were so outraged, you know, at this point and so just, you know, desperately jaded by uh-huh. You know everything that they were seeing. So they 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 killed the SS uh, and then you know saved the, the the young man's life wow. and continued on their way. Wow. Um, to yeah, uh, you know they said my father couched it in terms. He said it was to just to see, you know the 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 
the extent of the depravity was was just an insult too too great to bear. Yeah, yeah. At this, point, you know, all hope had been lost. Of course, um, the only thing that they were, my father was hoping, is to see his family again one day, and he didn't even know if they were alive because he hadn't no. talked to them in a year and a half, right? So he had no idea. And uh, turns out, actually, his village had been completely razed to the ground. He did not know this no. um, until he finally got home. Um, and so they they. They, they finally made it. They joined up with, you know, with a mass of people, civilians and military, trying to get past that line. And they they did. They managed to cross the bridge into the northern part wow. of the city or, you know, north of the river. So um, they, they, you know, managed to get there. They didn't know what was going to happen. And lo and behold, once they once they actually found out, they had literally crossed that river the day that the the uh, Germany surrendered. Wow! But they didn't know this. No, they no, did not suspect it. No. Yeah. I just wonder: are there are there movie rights to this story? It sounds so incredible. Um, you know, it sounds like um, something uh, something. The way you describe it is so, uh, that I, I can I can see this extraordinary drama. What was the, what was life like for your father after the war? What? Um, what what was his journey when the war ended? Well, that was that was really interesting because technically, so the war had ended. Uh, again, they did not know this. So um, they they were in the city of Lietzen, and the, the next day uh, they were still doing military drills. They, didn't, they were not aware, uh-huh. uh, and they actually my father accidentally ran into Americans in a convoy of Americans who astonishingly, you know, he, he was in full gear, you know, with his Panzerfaust and, and his machine gun. And he just, you know, he stood there in the square, you know, seeing this convoy of Americans in, in a Jeep. And they, they, it was one of those moments, I guess, that's sort of frozen in time. And they turned around and they left and he couldn't understand what happened. So he went running back to his um, lieutenant and uh, at full speed and saying, the Americans, the Americans are there. And that's when he, the lieutenant stopped me and says, Langbein, we just found out Germany has surrendered. The war is over. So, wow. of course, that in that point, that made sense. That's why the Americans had left, because, you know, the, there was essentially a ceasefire. You know, it was permanent now. And uh-huh. so there, there was, a, you know, the hostilities has, had ended. And so my father kind of. Uh, just uh, collapsed uh, on the ground and, you know, um, it, it, between, you know, immense relief and and also, you know, fear and apprehension for the future. Uh-huh. So um, then they um, agreed, you know, what was left of the unit agreed to give themselves up to the Americans. Um, it, it, and they, you know, they spent uh, three or four days in, a, in, in this um, meadow uh, with with no food or drink, waiting for the Americans to to uh, show up and take them prisoner, and um, and it's interesting because they were not prisoners of war. No, so they were interned persons because they were captured after the war ended. So that that mm. put them in a, in a very interesting sort of limbo category. They didn't quite know what to do with them. No. Uh, and uh, and so that that created some some interesting um, dynamics, and they were in this camp. Um, and of course, it's it's war, and it's uh, you know wasn't you know wasn't uh, it wasn't pretty. 
you know, they, they were, there was no food. They were given, um, really, I think one portion of bread, uh, that was, uh, mildewed mm-hmm. per day. A lot of, uh, a lot of the prisoners died of dysentery. Mm-hmm. Um, my father was beat within a, an inch of his life, um, upon arrival, mm-hmm. um, because, you know, the Americans, um, held that, um, you know that that such a young soldier must have been an avid uh, and and just yeah. very convinced Nazi, and and so um, and it was uh, the commander um, was uh, was Jewish, uh, and of course he, you know, he had that experience, right? His yes. experience, you know, weighing on him, um, and uh, you know he. He exacted, I guess, revenge uh, on the German people, and, and you know, and he was. My father was in the crosshairs of that, and he didn't. My father didn't quite understand any of that background, no. uh, although clearly he was aware from a young age because he actually had um, a, a young little friend who was Jewish, and the uh. family, my family, was was uh, was very well acquainted with with this Jewish family. Um, and had realized that uh, it, something was going on, that he wasn't able to to speak to you know the family anymore, and then he saw the the, the Jewish stars, so he started realizing. Uh-huh. And and when he asked questions, they wouldn't answer the questions. Yeah, so he knew, and he saw the synagogue burgeoning. He he actually saw at age eight. He uh-huh. didn't realize until much later in, in adulthood uh-huh. that that what he had witnessed was the Kristallnacht aftermath. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he didn't get any answers. He couldn't understand. He, he he realized something was very wrong, but he didn't understand what exactly was. And um, I mean, things like the the Holocaust. It's described by um, Richard J. Evans, a very eminent um, historian of uh, of uh, Nazi Germany, as as a, a, an open secret in that anyone by say nineteen forty three forty four. Anyone could know if they wished to, because the information was so widespread. But very few people actually wished to know. Um, yes. And I, I wonder. But towards the end of the war, was your father aware of of the Holocaust, or was it something that he didn't know about? You think? No, he didn't. He didn't. And, and in fact, I, I saw several uh, uh, accounts, you know, from from younger soldiers, you know, uh, that. Uh, uh, like self-published, maybe small memoirs, where their you know their experiences were very similar. So they they realized because they were so young, right? So they, yeah. they, uh, they were taken, they were taken also away, right? They were taken to the Kinderlandverschickung in '43 when when things got really bad. Um, and so what my father went away was with with a with a feeling that clearly Jewish people were supposed to be bad people. Uh, and it, they, they were being marginalized, and uh, they were, you know, losing their businesses. But he, he didn't know what was happening. So what no. after that was happening to them? No. I, I would agree. The adult population, I think, was well aware that they were being taken away. It was clear. Uh-huh. It was obvious that you know violence was being perpetrated on them. Um, but you know, there, um, my. My family actually um, hid uh, uh, the 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 lady, you know, uh, the, okay. of that family, the the wife, um, because the husband was taken to Theresienstadt mm-hmm. to the concentration camp. Mm-hmm. He, he luckily survived. Actually, he survived, and he uh, and he chose to remain in Germany, which is very rare. 
because his wife was German. Right. His wife, uh, his wife refused to divorce him. Whereupon right. immediately, so this is what happened to people, right? Whereupon immediately, she and her child were destitute. Yeah. So they were deprived of, of any means to make a living, and they were also not able to get food stamps. And then after my father left, um, in well, I think it was already in '45, okay. uh, my my grandmother actually had to hide her and the child because they would have been taken away. Good heavens! So just very quickly before we finish up, your father then did he eventually find his way to uh, America? Um, is that how you? Yeah. So no, my father never went to America. So what happened is he, um, you know, they were eventually uh, released from the camp, uh, and there were. My father, I think, was very clever, and when he realized they were, as they were dismissing people and discharging them from this camp, there were two two lines, mm-hmm. uh, but they weren't being told what the two lines were. But what he what he was hearing, uh, the the administrator ask. Uh, what is your occupation in peacetime? And he noticed that the people who said farmer were going to one line and pretty much everybody else was going to the other line. So because he came from, you know, uh, partially from a family of farmers and had farming knowledge, um, he decided to take a, a huge gamble because he figured accurately so that farmers probably were going to get sent home. Yeah. To, to from the land. And um, so when he was asked, he said farmer and student. And so they sent him in the line. And then he found out that, yes, the people who went to the other line were sent to um, to France uh-huh. uh, to do mine sweeping and, and to work in mines uh-huh. and didn't return until 47 or 48. Uh-huh. Uh, so he was sent home. They were sent home in a convoy. Uh, that was very much reminiscent of the convoys that uh, that the Nazis had put the Jews in. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, with you know the open cattle cars with uh, with no food or drink, um, and so the journey that was supposed to take you know from southern Germany to to uh, back to Witten, which is in an in an area of uh, Cologne, uh-huh. uh, where where uh, his home was, would have taken maybe a few hours, five hours. So it took fourteen days. Good and they had they had to because you know all of the the rail infrastructure had been bombed out. Right. Yeah. Um, purposely so, of course, by the Allies, um, yeah. and then also I think self-sabotage by the by the Germans to some yeah. extent. And so he had to go through Belgium and and uh, Holland, um, yeah. and they um, that convoy. You know, he was. They were packed like sardines, uh, with you know very little room to even breathe. So luckily for him, even though he didn't feel so lucky, he was sitting uh, at the at the edge. Uh-huh. And and even though he was being pushed out, he was able to hold on to that. There was a chain to hold on yeah. to, but he wasn't able to move for the fourteen days. So his legs, uh, so he basically became paralyzed. His legs oh had no, no more movement, and he the dead people you know, went over his head because the people died standing up, and so they had to push him over the um, the vo- to, uh, off the wagon. You know, unfortunately, yeah. and um, it was it was just a horrible experience. Um, yes. And it tells us that, I mean, there are many, many really good books about the, um, the, the, the aftermath of the war and really violence and trauma in much of Europe continued for several years afterwards. The settling of scores, the dealing with collaborators, 
the moving back and forth of refugees, often in the most brutal of ways. Um, and it's, I think, you know, the, the value of what you've got here, the value of what you've written is it captures this, this moment um, from this moment in, in European history and, it, and from your father's perspective. Now, we've, yeah, oh, sorry. we're nearly out of time, yeah. um, but your the book's being published by Pen and Sword, isn't it? It is being published by Pen and Sword and uh, distributed in the United States by Casemate. I, I just wanted to say in in finishing um, that uh, you know what my father realized is that he'd been everything he'd been told had been a lie once he finally made it home, and that um, and what he decided to do. Uh, was to dedicate his life to uh, to the the advancement of democracy, so that this would never happen again. And he actually succeeded. He, wow. he studied law, and he ended up uh, as the head of NATO Germany Legal Division. And he won the what well, was awarded the Medal of European Merit um, uh, by Vice President Bazin from uh, Belgium in 1979 for his uh, his work in in the advancement Wonderful. of democracy in Europe. Wonderful. What a wonderful and really, really moving postscript to a very dark story. Well, we, we shall finish that. It's been a, an honour, um, Heidi, um, and a real fascinating, fascinating journey. I think this is what actually I think one of the best interviews for the podcast I've done. And um, I'll put a, a link in the show notes if for anyone that wants to, to get the book. But um, there. And that was Heidi Langbin Hall and uh, her and her extraordinary memoir of her father's wartime years. So do check out the book, Save the Last Bullet. You can access it through the, the link below. Just to let you know, it's not an affiliate link. I don't make any money off these things. It's just a way of introducing um, really, really uh, interesting history writing to a wider audience. So do check us out. I've been putting some new information up on explaininghistory.org, um, particularly for students. So um, have a look there. And um, thanks very much once again for listening. Take good care. All the best. Bye-bye.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.